And so as we approach God's word today, we do so reverently. We do so believing that he desires to speak to his church. Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn there, beginning in verse 15, it says this, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having have become slaves of righteousness, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that reality today. Lord God, we thank you today for that reality that we have been set free. Lord God, we thank you around the room today that there's testimonies, Lord God, of Lord, who we used to be. We thank you you've set us free, and now we have become slaves of righteousness. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord God, we pray that it would become real to us. Lord, we thank you that it's living and active. We thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something in these moments together as we look to your word that would change us, that would shape us, that would make us look more like you. Lord, not for our glory not for our honor, but that you would receive all the glory, that you would receive the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Can we just thank this worship team again for leading us into the presence of the Lord? Praise God. Friday night we had a, a tremendous time of worshiping, and it just continues this morning. Uh, it's just such a privilege to be in the presence uh, of God. And so we're going to jump into our text today. You got a note sheet coming through the door. Really, that's just the passage of Scripture that we're going to focus on today. But I want to give you a space under those verses to take down some notes, write down some ideas um, from week to week. We want to be changed uh, by the word of the Lord. And so we're in the second half of Romans chapter 6. We're making our way uh, through the book of Romans. And if you think we're making a lot of progress, just wait till we get to chapter 8. We may be there for a little while, right? But chapter 6 is really divided into two sections that center around two different questions. And at first glance, these questions, they, they can seem to be the same question, but they're not. Remember last week we looked at the question in verse 1. Paul asked, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now remember, Paul asked this question because he's kind of anticipating the response of the religious people of his time to his message of God's abounding grace. He said that where, where sin abounds, right, grace abounds all the more. It superabounds. Paul has shown us so far 
uh, in his letter that man can only be made right with God through believing faith. It's uh, the grace of God that accepts that faith as righteousness because of Jesus' substitutionary death. In other words, Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve so that God could be just when he accepts us. That's the gospel message, right? That's the gospel message that it doesn't matter how bad we've been. If we repent and we turn from our ways and we believe in the work of the cross, he will receive us as his children. Now understand our culture right now is trying so desperately uh, to deny that there is such a thing as sin. And, and the only way that they can do away with sin is to do away with standards. You see, if there's no standard as to what is right and what is wrong, then truth becomes subjective. It's just based on what I feel. But understand, this is nothing new, right? It started in the garden with Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. It's amazing. Somebody forwarded me an email this morning, and I don't usually go through my emails on a Sunday morning. I'm usually here, but I just open up this email because of the title of it. And it was uh, an email that was sent out to the members of the Unitarian Congregation of Rockland. And this morning, they are meeting on Zoom at 1030, of course on Zoom. <laughs> they're going to meet to discuss uh, the seven deadly sins. They're going to talk about the sin of lust. And it seems, at least by their email, they want to talk about why it is not a sin. Listen to what they write in this email. Listen to this. They said, initially the focus of religion was to help early man deal with his growing understanding of death. Pretty soon it became a tool of social control used by the ruling classes. And what better way to control people than to decree what kinds of sexuality they were allowed? What is interesting is this control has not steadily progressed towards an ever more liberal approach. Why? In, instead, the first thing founders of a new religion seem to do is bring back all of the old sexual taboos. You see, the Unitarian Universal Church, understand this about them, they give no authority to the Word of God. And so they say any prohibition in regards to sexuality, well, it's just a means of controlling people. You see how twisted that is? They, they, they seem to be offering freedom, but instead they're turning people into a life of slavery to sin. And, and if this morning you would say, well, I don't believe that there's any such thing as sin. Well, I would challenge you, if you hold that view, first of all, I would dare you to open your eyes and begin to look around the world around you, right? But then open your eyes to see your own sinful heart as well. And so the question at the beginning of chapter 6 is, is one that would come from the religious. They, that, again, they think they can be good enough for God. They're pushing back against Paul's message, and they're saying, well, if salvation is a matter of simply receiving the grace of God, then why don't we just live it up and do what we want so that we'll get more of God's grace? And so the response in the first part of chapter, the first part of chapter 6, remember, is they, Paul says, no way. He says, we've died to sin, and therefore we cannot live in it any longer, right? The old man is dead. We've crucified the flesh, and now we have the freedom to walk in a newness of life. That means that sin no longer has the power to make you do what your body once demanded. You can say no to sin. You can refuse to let your mind and your actions be controlled by that old nature. And so last week we ended with this amazing statement. Remember verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. That's a promise. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Paul says this because he understands that the law can do nothing to give us power over sin. 
All the law can do is to show us that we're a sinner, right? It can highlight where you are in your relationship to sin, but it can't actually improve your life. That only happens through God's grace. You see, many of the Jews living in Paul's day, they didn't understand grace, and I I think it's the same today. There are a lot of people who don't understand grace. So often I'll talk with people and they'll say, you know, Pastor, I'm really trying hard. I'm just trying hard to, to live that Christian life. And Often what they're communicating is that by their own strength, they're trying to live the Christian life. But that's an impossibility. You see, we can't live the Christian life. The Christian life is outside of our ability apart from a work of God. And so what we need to do is recognize that it's God's grace in our lives that enables us to live the Christian life. It is a work of grace that sanctifies us. It's a work of grace, again, that empowers us to say no to sin. That's exactly what Paul's been saying in the first half of chapter 6. But again, many of the Jews didn't understand that. And so Paul would go places and he would teach, and he would teach about the grace of God and and the mercy of God, and these Judaizers would come behind, they would follow behind him, and they would stir up all kinds of trouble. So they come in behind Paul and they say, well, we know that Paul was here and he was teaching you that you're not under the law, but you're under grace, but that's ridiculous. Because here's what they believe. They believe that if you got out from under the law, you would end up with lawless people, right? They thought if you preach a message of grace, you're going to end up with the wild, wild west, man. People are going to be running here and there. It's lawlessness, right? And so they would say, no, 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 you are under the law. In fact, you have to be under the law because the law, that's what gives us safety. The law is what protects us from sin and makes us righteous. Again, they didn't understand grace. They didn't understand grace's ability to actually change our lives. Yes, it is faith alone that justifies us, but that faith, hear me today, is never alone. It it is always accompanied by sanctification that is leading to eternal life. When you're living under grace, you're not going to give into a life of sin because you've been baptized into Christ and you have been set free. Again, the old man is dead, And a dead man doesn't have any control over you anymore, right? And so in this second half of chapter 6, Paul's going to ask a a similar question. And he's going to give another reason that we as believers don't continue going on in a life of sin. Look at verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Now there's a couple of distinctions that we need to make here because Again, these two questions that frame out chapter 6, they, they sound very similar, but, but they're not. Okay, Remember verse 1, he asked, are we to continue in sin? And really, the verb tense there, it speaks of an ongoing habitual sin. Again, the answer is if we've identified ourselves with Christ in his death and burial, then we died to sin. If we identify ourselves with Christ in his resurrection, then we walk in a newness of life. right? And so we don't continue in habitual sin. But here in verse 15, the question is, are we to sin? And really what he's talking about is not ongoing habitual sin. He's talking about those occasional sins in our life. And he's going to to argue against the abuse of grace in this way. And really the question is, if we are under grace and we're not under the law anymore, then why does it matter if I sin occasionally? Like, what's the big deal if I make a, a few adjustments on my taxes, right? I'm not under the law. What's the big deal if I sin here and there because, hey, there's grace, right? Well, he's going to tell us what the big deal is. Look at verse 16. 
Verse 16 tells us what the big deal is. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, when he asks the question, do you not know, he's saying, okay, here's something you should be aware of, right? Don't you know this? Don't you realize this? Here's something you should know. You should know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey. You're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to Christ, which leads to righteousness. Now, I know when I say that, that we're called to be slaves to Christ. Sometimes that doesn't make people feel all too good because, uh, because of the word slave or slavery, right? It still carries this very negative connotation, right? But you need to understand here that we are not servants of Christ who choose to work for him sometimes and then we go get another job, <laughs> We are servants of Christ. In other words, we are called to obey regardless of what he calls us to. But let me make, be very clear that being a slave to Christ or a slave to God is the only slavery that actually produces freedom. Now, I know that's a strange statement, right? Slavery that produces freedom. But the reason that slavery to God produces freedom is because he is the only free being in the universe. And, and because of that fact, when we give our lives to him to be a slave of Christ, he brings that same freedom into our lives. He actually sets us free. That's why scripture says, he who the son sets free is free indeed, right? And so here's the basic principle you need to understand, that whatever you give yourself to, you are a slave of that thing. When we give into things, we become slaves of those things. And here's the spiritual principle. We can either be slaves to sin or we can be slaves to righteousness. Now, before you knew Jesus, there, there wasn't a choice. You were a slave to sin. There was no other option. But if you have come to Christ, if you've given your life to him, he now frees you from that slavery. And you could ask, well, pastor, how do I know this morning what I'm a slave to? How do I know if I'm a slave to sin or if I'm a slave to righteousness? If you break it down to its essence, slavery is about obedience. And so anything in your life that when it snaps its fingers, it causes you to move, you're a slave to that thing. Anything that tells you to jump and your response is, okay, how high? You are a slave to that thing. You see, many people claim to be free and yet they are controlled by their desires. Again, whatever you present yourself to obey, you become its slave. A very practical illustration is if I obey my appetite constantly and I never say no to my appetite, I am a slave to my appetite. Right. If my appetite says crave case and I jump out of bed at midnight and I drive to the castle, some of you all know what I'm talking about, right? Then I am a slave to my appetite. Some of you are guilty because you did it last night, Right? You're a slave to your appetite. You see, at one time, all of us were slaves to sin because we served sin. We, we obeyed sin. Whatever sin told us to do, whatever our flesh told us to do, we did it, right? But hear me, now we're in a different position because we are slaves of righteousness. And what Paul is saying is you are going to serve somebody. You're either going to be a slave to sin or a slave of righteousness. And you might say, well, I don't want to be either. I, I opt out, right? But the reality is you don't have that choice. Your life is either going to be lived in the direction of obedience to sin or obedience to God. Again, you have a choice in your slavery, either to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. One way or another, you will serve somebody. 
And when it comes down to it, justifying faith is justifying faith in our lives. It, it does not produce perfection, but I want to say this, it always produces a new direction, right? And so look at verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient, listen to this, from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You were once slaves of sin. Notice Paul puts that in the in the past tense, again, because we've been freed, right, from slavery to sin. Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome, and really he's reminding all of us, that we should remember to be grateful that we've been set free from the bondage of sin, right? We've been set free from the bondage of sin, because the truth is, it's out of that heart of gratitude that we become obedient from the heart right? Like it's out of that position of gratitude that we now have a, a desire to serve Christ. We now have a desire to live according to his word. It's out of that position of gratitude that we're committed to the standard of teaching that we've received. We're committed to live out the message that we've received. Of course, Paul always pointed to, to Jesus. He said he's the ultimate example on how to live. But understand the apostles' doctrine is really the message of Jesus and how we live it out in our daily life. But look at that phrase, the standard of teaching. It's a beautiful uh, picture. The, the words really describe a mold that is used to shape metal. And the idea is that, that God wants to shape us. He wants to shape our lives. you believe that today? He wants to shape our lives. But in order to do that, he first melts us by the work of the Holy Spirit. He melts us by the word of God. And then he takes us and he pours us into the mold of truth. Biblical doctrine, biblical teaching, right? Those things now begin to shape our lives into his image. You see, it's really the teaching that we receive that molds our lives. I think it's one of the reasons that more and more Christian parents are, are realizing, man, I don't know if I can place my child into an environment where they're being molded by the things of this world. You know, my wife and I always took the position that our, our children would be salt and light in the public school environment, but given today's public school environments, I think that's a lot to ask, especially when your kids are not yet salty, okay? They're still in the process of getting salty. They're still, they're not yet light, right? I mean, think about the difficulty that we have as adults sometimes navigating the world around us, and yet we're expecting our young children to navigate these environments. And while they're being, all the while they're being molded and they're being formed by the world's doctrines. Pastor Vody Balkum says it this way, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Right? Like, like we cannot be surprised when we allow the world to shape our kids into their image and then our kids look like the world. What happened, right? And so we've been asking this question, seriously, as a church, as leadership, we've been asking this question, how do we respond to this? And hear me, for those of you that are teaching in the public schools, I just want to say I applaud you. I thank you for being there. I thank you for being there. I thank you for, for taking a stand. I know many of you, it's difficult, but you're taking a stand in your faith. But I also think you could testify today that it's becoming harder and harder as a believer to teach in the public schools. I know for my wife and I, if we had young children right now, there's no way that we could in good conscience send them into a public school environment. And so, again, we've been asking as a church, how do we respond to this? And, and I want to encourage you, if you have children in kindergarten through eighth grade, I want to encourage you to look into our Christian school, Amen. Cornerstone Christian School. It's the only Christian school in Rockland County 
And honestly, if you compare our tuition to the tuition of other schools, you'll find it's about half of what theirs is. Why? Because we don't want finances to, to be an issue for you in choosing a Christian education for your children. We don't want that to be a hindrance. But I do want you to think about the teaching or the doctrine that you want to form the lives of your children. And you could say, well, pastor, my kids come to church and they, they go to youth group. You know, I heard a statistic recently that the average Christian youth is in church about 24 hours a year. Now, if that seems low, the average Christian only attends church about one and a half times a month, right? So you figure they're bringing the kids along. 24 hours a year, okay? The public schools have your children for more hours than that in just one week. <laughs> Who do you think has the greater influence? And so, again, if you have children K through 8th grade, please carefully consider Cornerstone Christian School. It is a, a tremendous ministry. I was a part of the first graduating class back in 19... Yeah, it was... It was <laughs> It was, it was a long time ago, okay? But here's what I can tell you. From that first graduating class, there are, are two of us that are now pastoring full-time, one that is a full-time missionary, one that is involved in mission, uh, worship ministry. Everyone that I've had the, the opportunity to keep in touch with is still serving the Lord, and I believe it's because of that foundation and that, that mold early on in our lives. And so our school here, it goes through eighth grade. We wanted to go beyond that, but right now, that's what we're limited to. And so the challenge then becomes, what do we do beyond eighth grade? If you have children entering into high school, there are other private Christian schools in the area. But I know this, that the cost of tuition can be prohibitive for some. And so I just want to say this, homeschooling is another option. Homeschooling is another option. You know, I remember growing up, I wasn't too sure about homeschooling because I always felt like the homeschool kids didn't really fit into the culture. But now I think, what a blessing it would be to raise kids that don't fit into this culture, right? What a, what a blessing that would be to raise kids that don't fit into a godless culture. And so if you've ever thought about homeschooling or maybe uh, I'm just putting in your mind this morning, we want to just as a church help you and provide some tools, some resources if you decide to go that route. And so uh, two weeks from today, August 13th at 6 p.m., we're going to just have a panel discussion here on homeschooling. We're going to have some uh, parents that have done that before just answering the question, is homeschooling right for you? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but we want to be able to answer questions, provide resources. So again, I encourage you two weeks from now, 6 p.m. There's nothing you're committing to. We don't want to sell you anything, okay? We just want to give resources so that you can be equipped to provide doctrine and teaching that will shape your children into the image of God. Amen? Amen. And if you want information on Cornerstone, please stop by the table in the lobby today. Check out their website. I know you can come and take a tour. They're enrolling right now. Again, we just want to equip you and see the lives of your children poured into the mold of God's truth. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of what? Slaves of righteousness. Now, what does it mean to be freed from sin and, and to be a slave to righteousness? Well, it means that sin is no longer your master, okay? It's no longer your boss. When sin says jump, you no longer ask how high. Instead, now righteousness is your boss. And so serve righteousness instead of sin. Just imagine with me for a moment that you started a new job, and on your first day at the new job, you just couldn't wait for that lunch break. And Lunch break finally came, and you jumped in your car, and you drove back to your old job. And you say, hey, boss, I'm just here checking if there's anything you need me to do. Right? He'd be like, what are you talking about? Get out of here. You, you're not, you don't work here anymore. Listen, it isn't right to think about pleasing your old boss when you change jobs, and it isn't right to think about serving sin when you've become a slave of righteousness. 
Again, we have a new master. How could we ever go back? You see, the word of God says that no one can serve two masters, but at the same time, we know that sometimes we're tempted to serve both masters. But here's the thing. When you give into sin, you're really only serving one master. So often I've seen people who claim to be believers living in slavery to sin, and everyone sees it, and they, they might, may try to justify it, but, but sin controls their lives. And they say, oh, pastor, really, it's not controlling me. I, I can stop any time. And I say, well, why not, not right now? Like, now? Now would be a good time, right? Hear me, freedom from sin means becoming a slave to righteousness. But what does it mean to be a slave? A couple thoughts I want to share with you. This is from uh, the Greek scholar Kenneth Woost. He defined the ancient Greek word for slave in this way. He says that word describes, number one, someone who is born into a condition of slavery. Someone who's born into a condition of slavery. Secondly, it is someone whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Their will is swallowed up in the will of another. It's not about my will. I I don't call the shots. It's about my master's will. Someone who is bound to their master in a way that only death can break. Finally, someone who serves his master to the neglect of his own interests. Understand, all of those things were true in regards to our slavery to sin. We were born into a condition of slavery to sin. Our will was swallowed up by sin. And we were so bound to sin that only death could break that bond. And so it's only when we die spiritually with Jesus on the cross that the bondage of sin is broken in our lives. And understand that when we talk about sin, we were so enslaved to sin before Christ that we served it to the disregard of our own interests. And you may say, well, pastor, I sinned because I wanted to sin. Yeah, that's true. That may be true. But then even when you saw sin destroying your life, you continued to serve it. So think about all those things. Now, when when you talk about slavery to righteousness, what does that mean? It means that we're born again as slaves to righteousness. It means that, that our will is swallowed up in the will of God. It's his will that matters, right? It's his will that matters now. And it also means that we're bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break, but because Jesus triumphed over death and the grave, understand those bonds will never be broken. And so now, as slaves to Christ, we willingly choose to serve Jesus rather than our own self-interest. You and I have been set free from sin, and that means we never have to sin again. Understand, you can't tell a slave to stop behaving like a slave. But you can say to someone who has been set free to live differently, right? And so Jesus tells us to no longer behave as if we are slaves to sin because we've been set free. And now we are to think and we are to live as free people. Verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I don't know if you caught that, but Paul just insulted all of us, okay? Just a little bit, right? He said, I know it's hard for you to understand what I'm saying, and so I'm going to take that thing and I'm just going to put it on the bottom shelf so all of you can reach it and understand it. Here's a simple explanation. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, in other words, in the same way, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? Sanctification. What he's saying is simple. Before you came to Christ, you gave your bodies over to serve impurity and lawlessness. Lawlessness is simply forgetting God's boundaries and doing whatever we desire, right? It's making ourselves Lord and ignoring the fact that we have a master. 
but now we should take that same attitude and present ourselves just as wholeheartedly as slaves to righteousness. In the, in the same way you used to give all of yourself to sin, in the same way you used to prepare for Friday night, now give all of yourselves to Christ. Prepare for Sunday morning, right? Prepare to be in the house of the Lord. Give him your mind, give him your will, give him your emotions, give him your strength, give him your time. Obey whatever the Spirit of God leads you to. Understand, that is the path of sanctification. Lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, but righteousness leads to sanctification. Understand this, the more we listen to the voice of the Lord, and the more we obey the voice of the Lord, God bless you, the more we obey the voice of the Lord, the more we are changed, amen? And because of that, there can be this increasing joy in our lives to, to do the will of God. Oswald Chambers says it this way, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. It's not reached by the passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. You see, some people have it in their mind, if I just give it enough years, I'm going to become spiritually mature eventually. But years without obedience will not mature you. They'll just make you older, and they'll just make you grayer, right? And so it's so important that we understand this truth, that the more we obey, the more we are transformed. Like, like if, if you don't get that, you're going to be frustrated over a lack of maturity in your life with God. And, and I said it last week, the more that we are transformed in this life, the less culture shock we're going to have when we get to heaven, right? And so let God change you. And, and that change, again, it comes through obedience to the word of God. It comes from obedience to the spirit of God. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, what is Paul saying there? When you were slaves of sin, you were free. It's almost humorous, right? When we were slaves to sin, we, we were free, all right. Some of you can remember that time at which you lived in sin, and you lived in such a way your conscience didn't even bother you. Like, like righteousness had no power over you. You did what you wanted to do, and you didn't think about the consequences to yourself. You didn't think about the consequences to others. Maybe you can remember when you were in sin, you lied to yourself about all the consequences that were going to come from what you did. Like some freedom that was, right? It was a freedom that was no freedom at all. And then he asks a very good question, verse 21. It's a, it's a good question to ask those who feel like they're free to live however they want. Some people say, I don't want church. That's going to restrict. I want to be free to live however I want to live. Look at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting? What fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit did you get from those years of slavery to sin? Maybe some of you can start listing them this morning. There were the hangovers. There were the broken relationships. There were many tears of regret. Maybe you lived with a bad reputation and, and a guilty conscience. Maybe you carried shame around with you everywhere you went. And, and maybe you're still dealing with the fruit of those years of serving sin. And so rather than bragging about freedom, we come to this point where we say, you know what, I'm ashamed of those things in my past. And Paul says, the end of those things, it's death. Understand today, if it weren't for the grace of God, delivering us from our slavery to sin, we would end up in hell. So many people tell me, man, if it wasn't for God's intervention in my life, I would be in prison or I would be dead. Anyone want to testify to that today? I don't know where I would be 
if it wasn't for the grace of God intervening in my life. But, but here's what Paul was, was saying about all of us. This is what he's saying about all of us. He's, he's saying that's actually uh, why we should put off sin. That's exactly why we don't presume upon the grace of God and listen to the lie that tells us, you know what, a little sin ain't going to hurt nobody. Just, it's just, just, just a little sin. You'll be all right. Galatians 6, 8 says this, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Back to Romans verse 22, he says, but now. Tap your neighbor and say, but now. But now. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. In other words, the new life that we have in Jesus gives us freedom from the power of sin. Again, we can say no to temptation, and so instead of being slaves to sin, we become slaves of God. We respond to him. He's the one that directs our lives. When he says jump, we say how high. When he says go, we go. When he says wait, we wait, right? And, and the blessing of that is that instead of the fruit of self-destruction, we now reap fruit that leads to sanctification. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives more and more. That is the process of sanctification that is preparing us for eternity because the end of sin is death, but the end of sanctification is not death. Hear me, it is eternal life. In other words, Death is where enslavement to sin leads, but eternal life, you, you gotta know that this today. Eternal life is not just about when you go to heaven, okay? It's about living right here and right now in communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He, he said, this is eternal life, to know God and to know Jesus. Now, look at verse 23. It's probably a, a verse that you've memorized. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now when you read that verse or you think about that verse, don't miss the context. Because Paul is still answering the question as to why Christians should not presume upon the grace of God. He's still telling us why we should avoid sin like the plague. And here's why. Because sin ends in death. First sin comes and it enslaves us. And it brings nothing but destruction. And if we continue to serve sin, we pile up a lifetime of wages. Just think about the payment that we would receive from a righteous God if we were not saved by the work of the cross. But the good news today, the gospel, the good news is that God offers us a free gift. It is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus, don't miss those words, our Lord. So I want to ask you as we prepare to close, what does that mean <laughs> that he's our Lord? Well, it means he's our master. Uh, again, we, we'll live to do his bidding. And, and so what's the difference between slavery to sin and slavery to Christ? The big difference is that, that God's desire is ultimately for our good while enslavement to sin only brings destruction. Paul's not going to stop. Listen to me. He's not going to stop talking about grace. Here he, he says it again. Eternal life is, is a free gift. The relationship with God that we receive by faith, it costs him everything, but it's free to us. And this is the gospel at its core, that all of mankind is a slave to sin, and yet mankind 
can receive the free gift of salvation, but it only comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It only comes, hear me, when you actually allow him to be the Lord of your life. Your slavery to sin ends when Jesus becomes your new master. And so don't miss this, because there's really two invitations here I see in the text. And the first invitation is an invitation to freedom. It's an invitation to freedom not only from sin, but from all of the destruction that sin brings. And so instead, you can know Jesus as your master, and you can be free to serve him and free to bear fruit in your life that leads to eternal life. You can allow him, even right now, to prepare you for eternity. But hear me, he must be your Lord, and he must be the master of your life. But the second invitation here is simply this. If you're here today and you've been toying with sin and thinking it's no big deal, you're thinking that you can serve two masters, today's a good day to surrender again to Jesus. Today's a good day to begin to bear fruit unto the Lord. And the amazing thing is that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can give you the strength. I believe this today. He can give you the strength to live in newness of life. For some of you today, this is Texas simply an invitation to restore the relationship you once had with Christ, to restore that relationship and to submit to him once again. And so the question, shall we go on sinning? Isn't it okay if I have a little sin here and there because there's grace? And Paul says, absolutely not. Because now we have the opportunity we have the privilege to offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness that leads to sanctification. Would you stand with me as we prepare to close today? Here's the question I want you to think on as we close, and maybe it's a question you need to sit at home and, and dwell on a little bit more. It's this question, who will you serve? Who will you serve with your life? Such an important question, hear me, because life is short, Eternity is long, and heaven and hell are real. So how are you going to live? Again, there's no opting out. You will either live your life in the direction of obedience to God or in obedience to sin. You'll either live your life as a slave to sin and bear the fruit of destruction, and the end of that, the wages of that is sin is death, or you can live your life in the direction of obedience to God and bear fruit that leads to life and in the end reap eternal life. Listen, if that's how you choose to live, as one that is born again as a slave to righteousness, what does that mean? It means that it's not about your will. Your will becomes swallowed up in the will of God. His will is what matters, not your will. As, as a slave of Christ, you will willingly choose to serve Jesus rather than your own selfish interests. You will be bound to Jesus with bonds that only death can break. But again, because Jesus triumphed over death and the grave, hear me today, those bonds will never be broken. And here's the greatest thing. You can hold one of the greatest titles that a human being can ever possess, a servant or a slave of the living God. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you today that it very clearly lays out for us the consequences of serving sin. The consequences of sin in our lives. Lord, we know it's destruction. We know it's death. And so we thank you today that we have been set free. 
Lord, we thank you today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you, we no longer need to say yes to sin. We no longer need to jump when sin snaps its fingers. But Lord God, you've set us free. And so I pray as your people, Lord God, Lord, I pray that as your church, that we would be slaves of righteousness. Lord God, Lord, that when you speak, we would respond in obedience. Lord God, Lord, when you tell us to go, that we would go. When you tell us to wait, that we would wait. Lord God, that we would understand that it is a privilege today to live as a slave of Christ. Lord, we thank you today that as we respond in obedience, you're maturing us and, and you're shaping us. And so we pray that would be the case this week, Lord God. Lord, as we, we set our eyes on you, as we live in the direction of obedience to, to Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord God, that you're going to change us and you're going to shape us and you're going to make us more like you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would begin to do that right now. Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to do that right now. Come on, lift your hands before him. It's, a, it's just a way of surrender. Some of you here this morning and you're trying to live this Christian life in your own strength. That's the problem. <laughs> surrender to him. Surrender to him. Take all your sin. Take all your shame. Surrender to him and say, Holy Spirit, come. Empower me by your spirit to live as one who's free. <laughs> come on, begin to ask him. Empower me, Holy Spirit, to live as one who's free. Empower me to, to live, Lord God, as you've called me to live. Lord, I thank you. Lord, we thank you for the fruit that comes from that. We thank you, Lord God, that you're sanctifying your church even right now. Lord, I thank you today that you're coming back for a purified bride, Lord God. So continue that work even right now. Come on, just begin to ask him. Say, Lord God, have your way in my life. Come on, begin to cry out to him, church. Have your way, Lord God. Have your way. Have your way, Lord Jesus.